I want to welcome you to the broadcast of River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're starting a new series this morning called The Crisis Advantage or The Advantage of a Crisis. And so I appreciate you tuning in. So if you would in this morning, if you turn in your Bible to the book of John, John, The Advantage of a Crisis. Now, who would have thought you could have one of those? We always think of crisis being the end of the world. But there's a plan for a crisis. And I'll tell you, this message touches everybody. Nobody here is exempt from crisis. It doesn't mean that you uh, got your house washed away by a flood. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, somebody burned down your house or stole your car. That doesn't even have to be the crisis. We can have crises at work, crises in our money, crises in our relationships. We've all been what we thought was a crisis. Whether it actually was or not, we thought it was. Our perception was. Therefore, it was. You can't measure it. You can't say, well, that was or wasn't. It's whatever it was to you. I looked up the word crisis in the dictionary, and it came up with three different things. See if you agree with this. A crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. A crisis is a situation that has reached a critical phase. A crisis is a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. Amen. Do you all agree with those? You could put other words with that, but that's uh, at least one part of crisis. Look in John where the Lord uh, Jesus says in chapter 16, and he says some things in verse 32. He says, the Father is with me. And then verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Point to yourself and say, hey, you. Get your peace from him. Peace isn't a tranquil scene or a sunset. That's, I talked in a broadcast about how that feeds your soul, but that doesn't give you peace. As soon as somebody walks in and says, oh, no, or get up or go wash the dishes. Well, that peace is gone. He said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. Then he says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, this is the gospel right here. The gospel that says you need Jesus to go to heaven is part of the gospel. But until you're ready to go to heaven, you need to live here on earth. And nobody wants to live like they're at the end of their life on earth and then someday click over and go to heaven. The Lord doesn't want you to. It says in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So here he said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Well, that word there, tribulation, is translated in the Greek, uh, trouble, pressure, distress. Would you all agree with the Lord Jesus that in the world we have trouble, distress, pressure? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, would you slip over there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, praise God. Look in verse 17, we're talking about the advantage of a crisis. Verse 17, Paul is speaking to this. Verse 16, he says, for this cause we faint not. 
But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I hope y'all are confessing that. That though you're getting older on the outside, you and I are increasing and growing and being stronger on the inside. But then Paul says, for our light affliction. That word affliction there is very akin to the word of tribulation. It means pressure or adversity. It can mean distress. Our light affliction. So he's not even talking about a full-blown crisis. Although I've seen people that had light affliction that had triple meltdowns. Have y'all been in the room with those people that just lost it all and you go, what is the deal? Yeah, the elevator stopped and it's been there 17 seconds, but it's not time to lose your mind just yet. But yet there they are just crying out, we're all going to die. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, how long do light afflictions last? A moment. No, mine lasted an hour. <laughs> That's just a moment. Praise God. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I want to talk about the advantage of a crisis. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what light affliction does. Can do. It doesn't always do. Like I said, if you've been in the elevator and you're on the floor screaming, we're going to die, it's probably not working out much for you. You're probably just having a crisis. But if you can take what the Word says, and you can adjust to your situation from the Word's perspective, well, then you're going to have a winning. You're going to have an increase. You're going to have an advantage. The word weight there worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory literally means abundance. How about that? So regular days, we're just having glory. And when you have a crisis or a distress or a pressure, you can have an abundance of glory. Now, we are talking about contrary terms here. We're talking about a redundancy. It's like, no, when trouble comes, it's less, it's harder, it's, uh, it's, we're not doing good. And then when everything's clear and free, we're at the beach or in the mountains or whatever, that's when I have my glory. No, that's a soulish and emotional. It's a, uh, it's a glory that, uh, it's, a, it's a blessing that's not eternal. It just lasts until something bad happens. Turn with me to James chapter 1, talking about the advantage of a crisis. James is right after Hebrews. If you found Hebrews, you can... James chapter 1. Now, I've given you two witnesses that there can be an advantage in a crisis, and here's the third one. In verse 1, it says, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, my brethren. So he's talking about believers. Are y'all believers this morning? My brethren, count it all joy. The word there is not translated right. It means exceeding great joy. Count it all exceeding great joy. That means you got to reach down and get something that's just not uh, happy or pleasant or feeling good. Exceeding great joy. My brethren, count it all exceeding great joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that look, look, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wow. We'll look at that again in a minute, but I have also made some definitions of the word crisis, and I have kind of discerned that a crisis is anything that's beyond what you understand. So if somebody's standing next to you could understand it perfectly. They're not having a crisis, even though they're in the same situation you are. But if it's above or beyond what you understand, or if you think God's involved, you think, well, God's doing this to me. I don't understand. I've been a good boy. I've been, you know, doing my B's and Q's. And uh, what is this all about? Well, you got wrong theology. You got wrong doctrine. And so you're having a crisis. How many of y'all know we used to have lots of crises? Because we thought God was involved or that God didn't care or that God allowed it or permitted it. It's all junk. A crisis is anything that persists, stays around a while, with no obvious answer. So it's kind of like an unanswered question. It's just out there, Lord, don't you care that I perish? That's what the disciples said on the lake when the storm came up. Lord, don't you care? We're having a crisis here. And there doesn't seem to be any answer. I have found that a crisis, number three, is relative. Not like your kinfolk's relative, but relative that it's not necessarily a quantity like 10 or 15 is, that it is different to different people what it is. It's relative. A crisis to one may be routine life to somebody else. And back to the elevator. Ah, oh, this elevator stops all the time. It'll kick in just a second, and we'll be going up to, to the 20th floor, and they're over there just losing it all, calling on God or whatever. A crisis, I have found, is where normal life is compressed and pressurized. So time during a crisis just seems to last forever or just speeds by, it's compressed, it's pressurized. Things that didn't bother you very much before you got into a crisis, all of a sudden are a major deal. You're touchy, <laughs> you're grump grump, <laughs> you're, uh, uh, yeah, we all get grump grump. Yep, we do, praise God. So normal life, normal life, you're just having every day as a normal life, but a crisis comes in and it disrupts by pressurizing and pressurizing and compressing your other every day. Now, here's my last one on a crisis that I came up with. A crisis measures your strength. How does it do that? It measures the power that it takes to rise above the crisis. So if somebody in the elevator is still losing it an hour later and they have to go home when they get out of the elevator because they're just shot they're just wiped out. Matter of fact, they call in the next day because they're in bed and they're taking medication and they're just wiped out. And, and somebody else in the elevator is like, whatever, you know, it stopped, no big deal. Well, then the power that it takes to get for that first one to get out of it means that he or she, I was thinking she, but I don't want to be biased here. I've just seen movies where she was yelling and screaming, we're all going to die. And the men that were in there saying, I'll just hit the button again, it'll go. You know how men are. But it measures the strength that it takes to rise above the crisis. So uh, I know people, 
I know I know one of a friend's that their and I know one personally that their dog died. It was an old dog. It wasn't like, you know, somebody shot it for fun. It it died because it was older than a tree. And uh it, it went to wherever dogs go, wherever good dogs go, it went there. And the owner, the woman, was wiped out. We actually had uh uh Somebody that we knew, her and her husband, came to our house. We were having a Christmas party. And uh, her dog had just died four days ago. <laughs> Not that afternoon, four days ago. And she was inconsolable. All we did in that party was mope around, well, try to mope around with her and say, oh, this and oh, that. It was pitiful. I said it was pitiful. And then I know somebody that, uh, well, I better stop there. Hallelujah. I better stop there. But I do know this one. I do know. They were inconsolable. Well, you know, if, if my dog, now, just take me for who I am. I wouldn't have a cat, but if my cat died, it's like, oh, happy day or whatever. And I don't mean that literally, but I'm just saying. Me and cats just have never developed a love relationship. I love dogs. I don't have one, but I love dogs. But I know they live 12 to 16 years or so, and it's just a fact of life. And I, I know you go to bed every night and you close your baby blues and you sleep. That's a fact of life. I know you have to eat breakfast or lunch every day. And so when the dog passes away, it's just like, okay, that's done. Y'all want another one? You know, it's... But for some people, it's a crisis, and they can't get past it. And six months later, they'll be talking about, you know, little Dodo that went on to, to be with the Lord. Now listen to this scripture. In Proverbs 24, verse 10, in the TEV, listen to this. It says, listen, if you are weak in a crisis, you are weak indeed. So point to yourself and say, hey, you. Don't be weak when crisis comes. Now, that's good talking. You ought to listen to that. You ought to pay attention to that. Let's, are you still in James? Let's look in verse 12 of chapter 1. Because it goes on about this diver's trials. In verse, let, let's go back to verse 2. It says, count it all joy, exceeding great joy, when ye fall... The word fall really means when you're surrounded by divers. The word divers means many. It's an old English word. When you're surrounded by many temptations. Now, the word temptations, we think we know what that means in our language, but in the King James, temptations, what they used to, to describe a proving trial. It's not necessarily like, well, I, I, I saw chocolate. And I, I was tempted beyond words, and I just, you know, couldn't stand it. It's not that, although that could be one too. It's talking about a proving trial. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, so what's being tried? It's not you, it's your faith. You go, well, they're the same. Well, <laughs> sometimes people are weak in one realm, but they're strong in another realm. I've seen people that could, uh, could minister healing. Wow, they had it. But if they were missing a dollar in their billfold, they were losing it. They just couldn't handle it. So you could have that. Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, 
uh, endurance or perseverance. It worketh endurance. The trying of your faith worketh endurance. But let endurance have her perfect work. Why? That ye may be perfect or mature and entire. Here it is, wanting nothing. In other words, you're living above crisis. Crisis don't affect you anymore. Listen, I'm not afraid to die. I know most people are. They are just petrified. They won't fly. They won't ride a motorcycle. I rode a motorcycle for years, and I just aggravated my mother and my mother-in-law. I aggravated everybody getting on that bike. But I was in total peace. I had Psalm 91 working in my life, and there's no way that I was falling off or running into something with that motorcycle. The sun came up that morning, which was the promise of God, and I was coming home safe, which was also the promise of God, and I never let one get above the other. But for some people, motorcycles are just the, the, the antichrist. <laughs> you know, it's the mark of the beast or whatever they do. So uh, in verse 12, it said, blessed. Ah, there's a word, blessed. It's a strong Bible word, blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So we put on that endurance or that perseverance, uh, and we get through the trial. We get through the proving. So it means that it's not easy to get through the proving. It's not like, ah, I got this. If, if you just say, ah, I got this, then it wasn't really a trial. Your trial might not be anything to somebody else, but for you, I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you've been in love with this dog or this cat, and they, they go to be with dog heaven or whatever happens, and I'm not saying that's what happens, but and, and you, you don't think, any, you, you think it's the end of the world, but somebody else is like, ah, I'm glad that yapper's gone. <laughs> you know, they're just, they're terrible about it. So it's a crisis for you or them, uh, you, and it's nothing to them. So it wouldn't be a trial for them to lose their pet or something like that. I probably chose a really bad example, but uh, you made me eat a cucumber. I would say it was a serious trial. But Deborah Ann on the other side can just plow right through them. So, you know, it wouldn't be a trial for her. We're going to have to get her something that's a trial for her. You understand what I mean? It, it's not that it's I'll do what you do, because that might be easy. Everybody has their trials. Everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses, their faith and their, their, uh, their uh, unbelief. And when we succumb to that, when we fall in that, well, it's, it's called a crisis. Blessed is the man that endureth this, per, this uh, trial, this proving trial, for when he is tried, so we are actually in a trial. You've got to get through the trial. You will get through the trial. You'll either pass it or fail it. And if you fail it, you've got to go around the mountain again. You gotta, it'll, it's coming back until you pass the test. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Wow. So temptations are not just good for us. You know, I didn't eat the whole cake. I didn't eat the whole carton of ice cream. Have you all ever seen bluebell ice cream in a half a gallon carton? Have you ever seen this uh, trick that you can do to make it completely disappear before your very eyes? <laughs> that's not a trial. That's, that's something heavenly. But it, it becomes a trial later. You've got to resist that. And I'm working on it. Hallelujah. Uh, the word temptation means a putting to proof. He that endureth temptation is a putting to proof. 
It's a trial. It's a judgment. Not judging against you, but judging to see if you pass or fail. Uh, it says, when he is proven, verse 13, when he is proven, oh, we've got to read verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted or tried. Now look, look, all the religious devils have got to bow down here because the Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted or proven, I am tempted or proven of God. Say, that's right. That's right. Say, amen. amen. It's in the B-I-B-L-E. God does not tempt. God, God does not prove. He does not need to test us. He does not test us to see what we're made of. He does not test us so we'll see what we're made of. We know what we're made of. It's never better than we think. And God already knows. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Look, look. Neither he tempteth or proves he any man. So temptation and proving trials... Divers' temptations do not come from heaven. They don't. They do not. Well, I, I wasn't close to God before that trial came, and after I got through that and lost my brother-in-law and lost my horse and, and you know, lost my job, well, gosh, I got close to God. That thing had to come from God. Ah, wrong doctrine. Because just because you went through it doesn't mean God sent it. But he can, he can make hay through the trouble. He can bring good out of what the devil meant for evil. And he's good. He's good like that. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Ah, uh, lust means, I looked this up, it, it's, it's just what you think. It's a longing, a desire for whatever's forbidden. So you might have an ice cream forbidden. Somebody told you, maybe the doctor, maybe your wife said, get out of that ice cream, it's forbidden for you. But they're over there and they weigh 72 pounds and they're eating ice cream every day and nothing happens. Don't you just, well, I just love all people. So I'll say I love the people that can eat everything in the kitchen and they weigh the same the next day or they'll say, I lost a pound. <laughs> and I just walk through the kitchen and go away. And it went the other way. It's just not fair. There's one of the things like that that's not fair. So um, verse 15 says, Then when lust, doing what's forbidden, hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Well, that's how we know that God didn't bring the temptation because he doesn't lay traps. And if you fall into this trap and you can't crawl out, you can't win, then the Bible says it becomes sin, and sin always leads to death. Not that you die and leave the world death, but death in some area. Death where they come after you, the police come get you because they say, you lusted for this, and you, you smoked it, or you drank it, or you whatever. Therefore, death, your, your life is changed. Or any, any manner of thing where death comes, a, a, a life has to leave. Listen to this. It's in the Amplified, verse 12. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man. The Amplified said, Blessed is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation. Hey, have y'all passed through, through some trials and it didn't touch you? You didn't even smell like smoke even though you'd been in the fire. It says, For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Hoo-hoo! There's death on one side, 
but there's the crown of life on the other side. So point to yourself and say, hey, you, pass every test. Come out strong. The crown of life. I looked up the crown of life, and in 2 Timothy 4, 8, it says, uh, Paul said, Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Crowns are good. Life is good. 1 Peter 5, 4 in the New Living says, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a, receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. It's the same thing. It may be some portion of it, some percentage of it, but everything you do where you win with your faith, where you cling to the Lord, where you don't fall for the flesh or for the devil or fall in the curse, it's a crown of life. We make progress. We grow up. We increase. We've defeated that, and we can move on to the next thing, and we'll defeat that as well. Victory begats victory. Once you win at anything, I got this. I say nailed it. That's what I say, nailed it. And once you nail something, it doesn't mean it won't come back and try to tempt you again, but you're ready to move on. I got the victory here. What else is out there? Devil, you got anything else? Well, he does. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you some things about crisis, because I want you to put your own life in there. We're all different this morning, but on the other hand, we're all the same. Crisis always demands transition and change. You get up every morning, you go to work, you, you drink your coffee, and you, you punch the thing all day, and then at five or six, you go home, and there's no crisis. Did you change that day? Did you transition that day? If you didn't have a temptation that wiped you out, you probably got up on Tuesday and did the same thing. But if you have a crisis in your life, you're either you're going to move one way or the other. You're going up because you win. Are y'all here? Or you're going down and you're going to have to circle around again because you didn't pass the test. You fell for the temptation. You, you lusted after the forbidden thing and sin came in and death was the result. So crisis, just understand, you're never going to come through a crisis and be the same. So crisis will either put you under or it'll put you over. I'm talking about the advantage of a crisis. A crisis is simply pressure that is applied at an inconvenient time. Well, I'm here to tell you there is no convenient time. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, this crisis could have come next week. No, it wouldn't have been a crisis if you were all tooled up for next week and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a crisis. Crisis is always at an inconvenient time. It's always at the worst time. When you run out of money, you go, this is inconvenient. I wish I'd have run out of money next week. No, you don't. You got you to gotta whip it right there, however it comes. Somebody says, I can't stand your guts. Well, I wish they'd told me next week I'd been in a better mood. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. It's a crisis. It's something that you don't like. And two things happen when crisis come, when pressure's applied. When an inconvenient time is forced upon you. Number one, you either melt and conform to the pressure. I've done that. Have you? The crisis came and I was like, I can't handle this. It's really a crisis. And I melted and I conformed to the pressure. And I went into a mode, you went into this mode of coping, surviving. 
enduring, minimizing. That's one way to deal with a crisis. In other words, I'm going to get past it. I don't like it, but I'm going to just take my licks, take my hits, and get out of this thing any way I can. Guess what's coming the next time? The same crisis. Because whatever works against you, the devil notices that. For some, it's their children. Oh, he just, he just touches them with a little sneeze, and mama's losing it. Mama is all over this. Call the doctor, get the medicine. We're going out. We're not going to work. We're, you know. And daddy's over there. Ah, shake it off. Shake it off. We got this. And you go, it's the same kid with the same stuff. How come it's a crisis for one and not for the other? Well, that's when the devil notices things and says, we will be doing this again and again and again because it works. And he's good at doing what works. So you go, well, I just can't handle it. I just don't, I just don't want to endure it. I just, I don't want to get strong. Well, get ready, honey, because you're going to see a sick kid all the time. I don't, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying, wouldn't, if you were the devil, wouldn't you do what works? Isn't that what we all do? We do what works. So you go into survive mode. You're like, okay, I got to take off work. I got to go get this. We don't have the money, but we're going to, we're going to. Hawk the washing machine so we can get some, yeah, all the crazy stuff, like the lady in the elevator. It, it happens. Like I told you, the, the lady that lost her pet, her dog, she, she was wiped out. She was worth nothing or very little to anybody for a long period of time. Well, if the devil can take you off the, off the racing course, well, then and he finds what works. But if you don't want to do that, you can do number two when the crisis comes. You can see it and say, I know what this is. This isn't just life. This is an attack. You can see it and you can seize it and you can use the transition because what happens in every crisis, there's transition and change. You can use the transition like they use when they they, they go around the moon with a satellite or a, a Apollo or something and they use it as a slingshot to get uh, momentum to, to go faster and further. You can use a crisis that's wiping out everybody around you, and you can use it to go up. You can do, use it to, to uh, be promoted and increase and put that thing off the devil's list of things that works against you. you got to win. Sometimes we don't win the first time we see a crisis. We just, like, I never saw that before. I fell for that. Here I am. I fell for lots of stuff. Y'all ever fell for stuff? But shame on, that's shame on, on them. But if it comes by again and you fall for it again, shame on you. Learn from that thing. Get back and adjust and say, here's what I did wrong. Here's how I let fear in. Here's how I let uh, intimidation in. Here's how I reacted. This can't happen again because I don't want to go through that crisis again. And you will. You will. It will happen to you until it doesn't work. So you've got to get a handle on your money. You can't be $5 over and just lose it and go into orbit and be worthless at work and worthless to your family and just a mess and taking pills. Uh, you, you can't do that. You've got to get a hold of your money. You've got to get the kingdom in you concerning your money. And here's how it is. If you're a tither, here's what we say. There's plenty more where that came from. There's plenty more. 
That wasn't God's best, and it certainly wasn't his last. There's plenty more where that came from. Now, if you're just winging it and going through and you're, you're scamming God, well, you're just on your own. There's a mercy, but you got to call out for it. you got to say, Lord, I'm dumb as a rock, and I, I'm sorry that I'm dumb as a rock. I will change it. So uh, let's say these things. Number one, we just saw it. God does not bring the crisis. Y'all say amen when you get it. God does not bring the crisis. He does not bring the pressure. He does not bring the proving. Y'all want us to read James 1 again? That's where it is. He does not. He does not. He does not. Well, I think because my Uncle Joe went through this and God used it for that and it just turned out marvelous and what, you know, God had to do it. It wouldn't have happened if God hadn't brought the crisis. You're wrong. You can never get your theology and your doctrine based on experience, based on observation. You get it from the Word of God. How's God going to teach you and increase you and raise you up? He's going to send His Word. He's going to send His Word. He doesn't put us down or put us under. He doesn't throw us away through crisis. He puts us over with the Word. And the Word in you and me is what defeats or unwinds or unties the crisis. If you go through a crisis for several days, just know you are empty in that area anyway with the word. You were at the, what they called wit's end. It was a soulish approach. You were like, I got to figure this out. Let's do this. Let's sell that. Let's quit this. Let's, and just all these, these answers come into your soul and none of them will get you out. You'll go into survival mode. You'll go into cope mode. You'll go into a hunker down mode just until the storm passes. But when you stick your little head up and the storm's passed, just know there's another one coming right over there. Now, one thing we have with the devil is we have a faithful devil. He's a sorry little booger, but he is faithful and he is consistent. So the, God does not bring the crisis, but God brings the word of the Lord. What does he say? He said it just like he did to the disciples. He said, we're going to the other side. So when the storm came up on the lake and they were swamped and they were saying, Lord, don't you care that we perish? The word of the Lord had been, we're going to the other side. There was a way, a path, a avenue to go to the other side. The crisis came to, to, to confront the word that says we're going to the other side and say, y'all aren't going to the other side. The Bible says God supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Doesn't it say that? The Bible says for a tither that he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that you're not easily able to contain. That's what he says. So when anything contrary to that comes, you know it's something that's coming together like a storm in the, in the Caribbean that's trying to organize. It's trying to organize to become a crisis. And you've got to unwind it in the beginning stages. You can't wait and just say whatever, whatever, because it'll come and it'll form and it'll, it'll organize and all of a sudden, you got a cat four in your, in your lap. And you go, where'd this come from? It came from you just saying, whatever, whatever, whatever. When storms come into Tuscaloosa, when they predict storms, excuse me, not when they come, when they predict them crossing over from the Louisiana into Mississippi line, we're up and we're speaking to it. We're pointing to the West and saying, not on our watch, not in our city, not on our house, not in River Church. Y'all get my attention. I, I call y'all by name when the storm's out there. And it goes over and around because we tell it to. 
Well, that's the same thing with temptation. It's the same thing with crisis. You'll have what you say, what you believe, what you enforce. So God brings victory in the midst of crisis and in spite of crisis. Not because of crisis. Well, God gave me the victory, but I had to go through old Billy to get it. No, you didn't have to go through old Billy. Old Billy is crisis, y'all. Old Billy is a hard time. You didn't have to go through it, but since you did, and then you called on God in the midst of it, God is faithful to say, I got this, and he'll walk you out of it. But you're going to have stuff tore up. You're going to have things hurt. It's gonna, there's going to be a price to pay if you don't take your authority and you let the crisis get into your life. Now, no doubt, here's another principle. You will be changed when the crisis is over. When the crisis is over, you will not be the same. You cannot be the same as before the crisis came. You will be changed after a crisis. Whether you got the victory, that's change. Or whether you're whooped and you're, you're just barely getting along, you are changed after a crisis. Every crisis has inherent in it change. So you just know when trouble's coming, we're changing. We're either going up or we're going under. There is no escape. That is life. In the world, Jesus said, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the crisis. There is an avenue. There's a path. There's a key out. But if you don't look to him, you better hunker down because it's not going to be pretty. Remember that story that uh, Mark Twain gave? He said, any cat that jumps on a hot stove will not jump on any stove after that. So you can do that. Oh, oh, my kid got sick one time or my money ran out one time and it was terrible. It was terrible. We lost this and he got that and it was just weeks of this and that and all the, the whole story. They described the crisis. Well, guess what you're never going to do? The next time the kid gets sick, you're going to run out there and you're going to have all sorts of medicines and you're going to build up. You're going to build a fort around your situation because you, you jumped on a hot stove one time, and now every stove is off limits. Well, the, the reason a cat jumps on a stove is because that's where the good stuff is. And in the kingdom, the good stuff's on the stove. Sometimes they're hot. So you gotta land, you gotta land on the potholder when you get up on one, or on the trivet, you know, you got, or where the fire's down. You gotta know where to land, but that's where the stuff is. Or you can be, uh, on the other side of a crisis changed. Wow, I made it through that. We lost a year. We lost our time. We lost our money. We lost our whatever you lost in the crisis. But we made it through it, and I feel like I'm stronger because of the crisis. Probably not, but yay. So you either got to be able to jump on every stove again. Now, it, I said this in my last podcast. Every one of us has seen a car make a turn and make it illegally or make it wrong, and somebody comes by and T-bones them, and there's ambulances and hurt people and all sorts of mess. But I notice everybody says, wow, that was quite a story. And then they get in their little car, and they pull out, and they make that same left turn. Because Why? Because we're not afraid to go into that intersection. Just because they messed up doesn't mean we will. And that's what you got to do. If you jumped on the hot stove and it, and it burned you, you got to say, well, we're going to check out the stove next time, but we're jumping every time there's a stove. 
You got to not let the devil intimidate you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Would you do that? Luke chapter 15. Going to help us. This is going to help us. We got to think right. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Got to think right. Luke chapter 15. Got to think right. Well, God will just protect me. Not if you're thinking wrong. If you're thinking God put sickness on you, you you're, he, he can't protect you. If you think God doesn't want you to have money because money will spoil people, well, it has spoiled some people. It has wrecked some people, but it wasn't that they could get through it. It's just that they were already flawed. They were already greedy. They were already stingy. They were already covetous. And when they got their money, they got the lottery or they got their inheritance or whatever, it just multiplied and amplified what they already were. But I'm right. I'm right inside. So the Lord can give me money. Because there's nothing bad to amplify. I don't say nothing, but I'm, I'm saying <laughs> I've let the Lord fix me about money. Because when you, when you don't have enough for the rent and the tithe and you just put it in there and then God shows up, you go, I got this. I understand this. But it's a crisis until you get the money and the rent, the landlord's coming. It's a crisis. Because you, you, you can't call the church and say, can I have that back? <laughs> jerky back, jerky back, can I have that back? I mean, you could if we hadn't already been, but if, if we've already banked and we bank at 1230 on Sundays. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 15, let's look in verse 11. Praise God. We're having fun with the word. The Bible says that a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, this is a cultural thing. You might not can get by with that today, but back then you could, apparently. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, wow, here comes a crisis. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have fame. He would fain have filled his belly, means desire, with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now, this boy was in crisis, would y'all say? He was having a good life. All he, he didn't have his own TV in his own bedroom back then, and uh, the older brother was kind of bossy behind the scenes. You know how older brothers are. They, uh, they push the younger brothers and sisters around, and they... They put their halo on before mom and dad come in. You know how that works. Don't you all know how that works? Of course. If you're not the older brother, you certainly believe it because you're the younger of the two. And so he, he didn't have everything he had going at home, but this was a crisis. That was inconvenient, but this is a crisis. He's about to starve. He's hungry, and he can't get help. And then the Bible says in verse 17, you ought to put a star by this. You ought to circle this. It ought to be something that's in your thinking. And when he came to himself, he said, that's what you and I got to do. To avert crisis, you're going to have to come to yourself. You're going to have to be open to, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this. Or maybe it costs more to disobey than I thought. Or maybe 
The devil's tougher and bigger than I thought. Men, people, women, everybody, we have a high tolerance of pain in our will and in our soul. Some people have more than others. Now, I tend to be, when you mess with me, I tend to repent and start saying, I'm sorry, and Lord, I'll do better, and I don't want to do that anymore, and I'm sorry again. Did I say that? Lord, I'm sorry again. I don't have a high threshold of will pain. I'm easily touched by the Lord. He mentions it to me, or if it starts going south, I'm repenting, I'm changing. But I know some folks that aren't so. Do you know those strong-willed, strong-souled people? that you can take them to the bottom of the barrel. Oh, yea, verily, you can take them under the bottom of the barrel, and they're still defiant. I will never change. I'm right. This is the way it's going to be. And they're just perishing. They're just going under. There's just, what are you doing? What a fool you are. It doesn't matter. I'm right. I'm going to do it this way. So they have a high tolerance. If you're one of those people, you need to change. The Bible says in Matthew 25, be easily persuaded to believe. Believe God's word. Intolerance, listen to this, intolerance of your present. Say right now. Intolerance of your right now is, only, is the only thing that creates your future. As long as you're happy as a dead hog in the sunshine, as they say, as long as you're happy with your, your uh, dearth, your poverty, your lack, your pain, your crisis, as long as you're willing to endure it, like we talked about, someone that copes, survives, survives and endures, you have no future. Only at the moment that you say, I can't take it anymore, are you willing to change. If you know somebody or, you know, and they're this person, then you need to run. Unless you're already married to him, of course. And then you need to just trot. You need to. Uh, and so nobody changes until there's a crisis in their life that demands them to change. Something painful, something uh, that's beyond their tolerance level, something that they just can't take anymore. That's when they change. And the Bible says when he came to himself, he had a change. The crisis had finally reached the end, and he was at his breaking point. And you can read the passage here. He said, I, I didn't have it so bad. I'll go back and take less there, which will still be way more than what I have here. We all have to go there. Every change, every good thing in your life is because you became intolerant of a lesser position and said, I can do better. And this is the only place that you'll find I can do better. The workplace will not say, you can do better. They'll promise you this, but they'll take away that. It's run by people, and that's you'll never have much if you base your promises, your increase upon your job or your family or anybody. It just can't happen. You're stuck where you are until you decide where you'd rather be. Listen, listen, you're stuck. Point yourself and say, don't be stuck. You're stuck until you decide where you'd rather be. Most people in the southeast, which is where we live, most people in Alabama have never been west of the Mississippi. You go, why is that? They've never been north of Tennessee. Lots of them. And you go, what's that? Well, 
it doesn't mean that we have to be travelers to be good, but it just means that we're pretty tolerant of where we are and don't, even though we're offered a good job or a good position somewhere else, we're like, nope, I'd rather be here. You and I will not change. I said we won't change until we believe that what we believe will not produce what we want. Let me say that again. It's a little long. You'll not change. Change will not come into your life. Transition will not happen until you believe that what you do believe, what, where you are now, will not produce what you want in exchange for your life. Now, here's the axiom to that is we lay down our life in one venue, in one form, and we pick it up in another. In other words, you go to work on Monday and you give the, the man eight hours, you load the boxes, you unload the boxes, whatever he says, you, you lay down your life for him and you give him your life for eight hours and then you pick up your life in a check on Friday. There's an exchange there. And if you sell your life too cheap, it'll be a little check at the end of the week. Am I telling it? Yeah. And so if you're not happy, on the day that you say, this isn't enough, and I don't want to exchange my life for that amount, then at that point, you will open yourself up to God's potential. He'll, you'll start saying, Lord, I can do better. And he'll say, you sure can. Been waiting for you to mention that. And that's when change starts, and that's when promotion comes. Well, if the Lord wants to promote me, he'll just bring it by. It's not how it works. Everything is in you. Now, the Lord is your facilitator. He is your vehicle. He is your ride and everything. But it's you and I that make the decision because decision is the place of power. Until you make a decision, there is no power. Yet you're surrounded by all the power in the universe. Everything's impossible. It is, it is possible. Everything and anything is possible. But none of it opens to you until you say, I want it. I'm not satisfied with, where, where, with what I believe. I'm now going to put on a new belief system, not your doctrine, just believing I'm worth more than this or I can't make it on this. It's not working. God's got better for me. That's what you have to say is God's got better for me. And we quit settling. We quit enduring. We quit existing at the bottom just saying, well, if God wanted me to have more, he, he, he'd bring it. That's bad doctrine. It's not heaven. It's not God. It's not, it's not his plan for your life. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, the Lord Jesus said, that you might have life that overflows. If where you are in any area of your life is not overflowing, then you're short of the glory of God. Well, when's God going to bring more glory? When you say, I want more glory. Your word says I can have more glory. I qualify for more glory. Therefore, I'm going to break out of this and get what you have for me, what God has for you. Will there be any price? Sure, you're going to have to get in faith. You think, well, if God wants me to have it, he'll just bring it. No, faith is involved. The transaction of heaven from earth is a faith transaction. It's not a need transaction. If God only went where there was a need, he wouldn't be in America. We're 5% of the people and we're 60% of the economy of the world. He wouldn't be here. He'd be in India and China and the Philippines, wherever, wherever people are needy. So he doesn't go where there's need. I have a need, Lord. Get in faith and I'll meet your need. No faith, 
Just put up with that need. Boy, this is good. This helps. Hallelujah. Uh, you will not change until what you believe is not satisfactory with what you want to do with your life. That's what that says. Nobody possesses, listen, nobody possesses what they're unwilling to pursue. You don't want to chase it, then you're, you're done. You're done. What you have is what you'll have until the devil takes some of that away. You got to pursue. The kingdom of God is a pursuit kingdom. You don't get born again because you're sorry. You get good. You get born again because you want more of God. And you say, Jesus is the way. I want Jesus. So you pursue Jesus and he, he says, oh, you caught me. Here I am. I'll be everything that I said I am. It's not even hard to pursue the kingdom. I wrote down here, you can only overcome what you hate because anything you're willing to tolerate cannot be changed or removed in your life. So uh, if you hate something in your life, you have to become intolerant of it. You can't say, well, it's just my lot. Here's what most Christians say is, I deserve it. I was bad, you know, I was bad back when I was 20, and so this is the punishment, this is the, this is the judgment on what I did back, back then. No, the judgment is, is that you confess your sins. You put the blood of Jesus on it, and then it's dissolved, it disappears, it's gone, and you're as good, the Bible says you're as good to stand before God as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How can that be? Well, if you're cleansed from all unrighteousness by the blood, what kind of stain, what kind of judgment do you have in your life? None. You're as clean as the Lord Jesus. He didn't sin, but if all of our sins taken away, then it's as if we never sinned. Wow, that's a swallow. I said, that's a big bite. But if you don't think that way, you're going to put up and endure and exist, coexist with trouble and a hard life. Here's what it'll be. You'll go to heaven, but you'll live just like the world. At the great breakaway, you go to heaven. They may go to hell, probably will. But until then, until the great rapture, the great breakaway, till the coming of the Lord, you got just what they got. And they're on the lake every weekend. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Faith, faith makes decisions that create your future. You got to get in faith. You, what's faith? You believe and you say and you act on this. You believe until you can say and you say until you act. That's what faith is in the triple summarized version. You got to believe something. Well, I believe this about God. Well, where is that in the Bible? God works his wonders God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Where's that in the Bible? No, the Bible says you can know everything God's going to do. He shows you what he, about your life. He'll show you. He'll say, I want you prosperous. I want you healed. I want you blessed. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I want you to be over and not under. What, you never know what God's going to do. Sure you do. And the day you do is the day faith begins to erupt and begin to well up in your heart and you go, I'm living beneath my privileges. I'm, believing, I'm living beneath the will of God. I am disobedient to the plan 
and assignment of God on my life. I'm living for me. I want to think what I want to think. I want to do what I want to do. And I'll tip God by going to church sometimes. I'll tip God by putting a Bible on my desk. I'll tip God by giving to the poor occasionally. If they pass the plate at work, you know, about somebody that's got in trouble. And you go, that ought to be good enough. Well, maybe it should be, but it's not. Faith is what turns your life around. Well, that's enough of this today. Praise God. The advantage of a crisis. Crisis is coming. Jesus said, it's everywhere. It's coming. But be of good cheer. Be happy. Be excited because it's not touching me. It's not touching me. It's touching hundreds. It's worked for them every time, and it used to work against me. But it's not touching me anymore. I'm going to the other side. Now, you gotta get, you got to get dogmatic. You, you can't be just meek and like, whatever, whatever God wants. No, it's not whatever God wants. Well, God, you know, God's sovereign. He's just getting what he, is God getting his way in the earth? Do y'all think God's getting his way in the earth? Just turn on the television. You'll know God's not getting his way. He wants earth to be like heaven. Do you think this is going to be in heaven? I think I'll skip it if it is. I, I'm, I'm tired of, of watching the news. It's got to be different over there. Well, he wants you to have days of heaven on earth. But you got to embrace it. If you want a good marriage, you got to embrace it. You can only get out what you put in. Well, I want the max for the minimum. Well, that's, everybody does. You want good kids? You're going to have to parent them. You're going to have to spend time with them. Well, I'm not going to. They can raise themselves. Well, I tell you, my experience is, is they will come back and say, you're going to raise me. And I got all these little kids here. We're all going to move in with you. <laughs> You go, wow, what did I sign up for? Well, you didn't do it at the beginning, so you will do it at the end. So help me, Jesus. Well, he did. He did, and he gave his life so that we could be free. I've got this one scripture, and I'll read this. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It's the Amplified. Ephesians 6, 13. You know this verse. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having, listen, here it is, and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. You know, the King James says, and having done all the stand, stand therefore. And having done all that the crisis demands. Well, you're in the earth and crisis is in the earth. You can't be exempted from crisis coming, but we are absolutely vaccinated inoculated against it having one single thing to do with our future. If the tornado goes over, around, then what do you care that it was a tornado? Well, it wiped out all this. Well, it didn't wipe out me. It didn't wipe out you. You go, well, how's that work? you got to get in faith about it. you got to start giving yourself to this. Because if you don't give yourself to this, by default, you'll have to give yourself to the Fixing of the crisis. Because the crisis is the default of not doing this. If you don't live above crisis, you will live through crisis. Amen. Well, don't be, don't be physically strong. Don't be solely strong. Be Jesus strong. Point yourself and say, hey, you, be Jesus strong. That's what we are. We're, we're putting on the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.
Well, thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to pray for everybody in here and on the audience. In the name of Jesus, I declare a quickening, a waking up in your spirit, man, that says I can't live where I've been living. No matter how good and marvelous and even Christian that it is, I must extend myself to rise up and go further. I must please God with my life and with my faith. And therefore, knowing it's up to me, I will step out today. I will make decisions today that will change my future. I will avert the crisis, and if I go through any, I will choose to live above the crisis and grow thereby. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this promise in your word for all of us. And I speak health and healing and wholeness to every person in this broadcast and every person in River Church. I speak a new vigor and a new strength in you, not just to endure disease and sickness and pain, but to resist it by being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I speak increase into our finances. Money cometh. I say there is promotions. There's suddenlies. There's, there's unexpected things that come into our life. Debts paid off. Checks in the mail. Surprises in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, the kingdom is tuned into us because we are tuned into the kingdom. And I decree it and I declare it according to Job. that says, if thou shalt decree a thing, it shall be established unto you and the light shall shine upon your ways. We take it, Lord. We let it come into our lives and we will not let it go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's somebody in the audience. You've got a boil. A it hurts like, oh boy, it hurts. It's like thunder. And I believe it's on your leg. And I would say it was on your right leg, but it hurts and you are in pain. And I speak to that now in Jesus' name. And I tell that infection, that, that uh, affliction to go in Jesus' name, be healed and be made whole. And that's you. Just receive it. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to climb every mountain. Just say, I receive what the Lord Jesus sent. And you'll you'll see a restoration and a healing in that. And I see somebody that's cut in their ear, and it's real painful. It's a, I, I've never heard this before. You're cut in your ear. I don't know if you were in an accident or an infection came, but you have you, your ear is not whole. And I speak a creative miracle into your ear right now, the, the bell of it, the outside of your ear, and tell it to be healed and to regenerate and come back to normal in the name of Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Amen.